I want to be the most, I want to be the most average mediocre glass cleaner on the planet. Nobody does that, you know, <laughs> and, but we act like that. We behave like that. Um, you say it like that and it's laughable, but then you look at so many businesses, including some that we've probably started. Welcome to Elements of Styles, the business podcast that trades in scarce thinking for community, conversation, and ideas in abundance. Each week, I, Mark Styles, sit with professionals and entrepreneurs, both local and global, and learn how they each add value to their communities, their partners, and their teams. Please enjoy. Hey, folks, welcome back to Elements of Styles. Today, I'm grateful to have El Paso Sam back with me today. You may remember Sam Trimble from episode number 40, and I encourage everybody to go back and check it out for a deeper dive with El Paso Sam. Sam is with WFG, a West company. He is their marketing and technology director. Welcome back to the show, Sam. I can't believe you had me back, man. <laughs> well, <laughs> let's get right into it. Any new ideas you got cooking? You know, it's funny. I was in... Um... I don't remember where I first saw it, but like, man, they have the little micro workstations in the airports now. Yeah. And when I, when I first was thinking about um, that, you know, it was going to be called the terminal. That was the name I came up with. Cool. I was like, I like this, like plug in, like terminal in that way, but it's also yeah. terminal. Like I'm on the move, it's transit. Like, and I just started picturing them having little ones and all these like little regional <laughs> airports and stuff like that. And I'm like, damn, you know, how much would it cost to lease you know, 40 square feet and put a pod there. And then I started seeing this shit and I had never seen it before when I was right. thinking, but now I've seen it and I'm like, damn it, you know? Um, but it's crazy how things like that, just that one little flicker, there was something in that show, I forget, or no, no, it was a quote I saw today from Elon Musk. And he was talking about when he was young and he thought he was weird. He's like, I thought I was weird. And I didn't see, like, not everybody else was having these, like, you know, just like random, like sparks of, of ideas and entrepreneurial things and creativity throughout the day and i mean you know elon's on the spectrum right like he yeah. he's he you know he has a mild form of asperger's or whatever but it was really interesting to think and then watching that show that dude you know serial entrepreneur and all this stuff and i don't know where it goes and i, I don't want to know yet but it's funny to think of those people that are just sitting there like dude and they just have this thing right and you can't create that Water coolers help because I think that's when you have like legitimate back and forth. It's harder this way in some cases, just because it's like, we're going to meet at the water cooler at three and we're going to talk at the water cooler until three 30. And then our water cooler talk is going to be over. When you set those limitations already, I feel like you're sometimes going in, which is why I enjoyed our first conversation because you're so good at like leading and those little nuggets to spur thoughts. But most people, it's like you just kind of sit down and this is forced, whereas a water cooler, we're just kind of standing there. And how am I comfortable? Like, am I leaning against the wall? Somebody walks by, does that spur a conversation? Someone chimes in and says, shut up, that changes things. Like, And so I'm, I miss that stuff. But you see people like Elon, you see people like, you know, the, the WeWork dude. I, I can't remember his name, Adam. Adam Newman. And, and I don't compare the two because they're not com comparable. No. But people that walk around and just have things and they're like what about this and i just can't fathom being in a position where you're now the wealthiest person on planet earth and if you have an idea you can go do it holy shit like 
I thought of this thing last night. It probably cost $50 million to get it up and running. I don't even know somebody who could help me build this out, but I know people who do. And then three weeks later, having a model set up a business model and being like, holy shit, we're doing this. Well, you know, it's funny you say that. So, you know, we're talking about Elon, obviously, and, and, uh, and his, and his new purchase of Twitter. And I was listening to wall street journal had a quick Q and a where they were talking, um, about it right when it happened and i tuned right in to hear what they had to say because i'll listen and absorb everything elon and um and they were talking about his boring company and they're like you know he recently was um granted a 700 million dollar raise and it was like secondary news like it was something in the average day where that would have been like a career for a lot of people. He got a $700 million injection to do what he wants to do. And he was like, great, next. You know, I'm, I'm hugely interested in that boring company. Did you see? So it's, it's Fort Lauderdale is his big push now. I think he's actually, he may even, you know, finish LA, but kind of walk away from California completely. And he's got from Las Olas in downtown Fort Lauderdale to the beach. It's like a two and a half mile stretch that it's bumper to bumper traffic and it's going to be boom, you're there. So tell me I'm not already looking for some yeah. condo or something at the mouth of that thing where a lot of people are like, what? Elon, come on. Oh, really? Really? You doubt Elon. You doubt you're doubting he's going to be able to do everything he says he's going to do. I still can't believe that Twitter actually happened. I was on a meeting yesterday when I got the news notification pop up on my phone and I was like, breaking news, everybody. I literally stopped the meeting and I said, you know, it's, it's happening, you know, and it's just, I mean, and the thing is, is I guess it's so funny how as a society, you know, who was the wealth, wealthiest man in the world until recently owns, you know, some of the largest legitimate, legitimate news organizations. Right. And that, most people probably don't even know that. Some people right. do. I mean, you know, a lot of us do, but a lot of us don't even know that. Right. And then we start talking about Twitter, which is literally just meant to be a platform where people can talk shit. Right. right? You say whatever you want. Until recently, you could get away with it. There's still, you know, I mean, Twitter is still full of like, you know, drugs and porn and all of this stuff that's allowed on it. But then if you say something that, you know, somehow, you know, goes too far in someone else's mind like you're gone and it's like this but it's always been the wild wild west man but the thing is is like i don't spend much time on it i was in a city that will remain nameless uh like a couple of weeks ago i get welcomed hopping out of my lift to pop 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 and i'm like oh oh i hang out in the desert and people go shooting out in the desert a lot and so like the sound itself did not necessarily like throw me into full red alert but obviously i knew what was going on i look over there's some people kind of running and like you know yelling a little bit but there's already police officers around and um what do i do go up to my room hop on twitter there was a there was a shake shack right on the corner where this was going down so i'm like i'm searching the city name and shake shack and shooting and whatever just to see what comes up and so it's amazing what you know look at look at uh you know, Kiev or however you say it, yeah. we used to always say give or whatever, but Kiev and, and Ukraine and all of this stuff. If it's not for that, you know, that specific platform, I mean, it takes a while for snooze to get out, even in 2022. Whereas this, you know, El Paso, August 3rd, a couple of years ago, you know, the shooting at Walmart, I was, it was a Saturday morning 
I don't, I'm not on Twitter that much. I have two guilty pleasures when it comes to that stuff. TMZ <laughs> and Twitter. I don't know why. Every once in a while, I hop on TMZ and I scroll for a while because I don't get on very much. And I figure out what's going on in the world of entertainment and the, the paparazzi and all that kind of stuff. There's, sometimes there's interesting things there. And then Twitter. I don't get on all that much because it's like a rabbit hole for me. Um, but I always kind of learn something or get a different point of view. Hopped on Twitter one Saturday morning with a cup of coffee. I don't know what time it was. I mean, I hadn't been up very long. And I see a video um, of the parking lot. And there's like bodies, you know. Oh, and I'm like, this is Walmart on the east side. I know that Walmart. It's right on the freeway, right on I-10. And that's how I found out. I start searching and searching. There's nothing there. And I looked. The video had been posted like two or three minutes before that. And then I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, this is actually happening. Safest city in the United States, statistically, and here we go. And it was because of Twitter that in that moment, literally, you know, probably 45 minutes to an hour before it started hitting any other type of news, even locally, it was all right there for me to see. And so what an important platform, but how scary that something can get that big. And it is a private company, you know. Um, so they can do what they want. And I agree with that. But at the end of the day, like at what point does a private company become quasi public when the usage numbers are such that the majority of the population is engaging on that platform? I don't know. I, I don't know how that works. Well, you talk about, you know, Bezos and the Washington Post being legitimate news source, but who, who delivers the news now? Like what percentage of people are consuming their news on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter versus Washington Post, New York Times, LA. A huge portion. And I, I get why, you know, so you go to WAPO, you, you know, you go to anywhere other than like AP and Reuters, you, you know, you go someplace and what do you do? You look at one article and then it's like, do you want to look at more? Like, it, and it's, it's like $2 a month or $5 a month. But we live in a world where like Bezos, Amazon Prime, you want me to pay $5 for shipping? Hell no. I'll buy a round of drinks for everybody at the bar and spend my whole paycheck. But <laughs> you want me to pay $4.99 for a pair of sneakers to get to my house? Nope. And so because of that, and because of the source that, you know, Facebook and Instagram and, and Twitter has become like, I'm going to, I have to pay for news. They have to do it to try and survive, I guess, but they got to figure something else out because like at least me and my, I'm not going to pay $3 to subscribe to the El Paso Times. It's not going to happen. I'll read my two free articles and I'll see you next month. Right. I mean, seriously, because I can go to Twitter and get it for free. And you know, the other amazing thing of where I'm finding a lot of my news is Google tells me what I want to read. Right. Yeah. So I swipe to the right and Google's got all the articles, residential real estate, every eye catching headline possible is going to be fed to me. And likewise, anything Elon's doing every step of the way, that's being fed to me. And I read them. I don't know what the source is. You know, sometimes I'll look and I'll be like, oh, Reuters. Yeah. But, but at what point am I saying, oh, that's real? Or, oh, that person has an agenda. Oh, they want me to stay on their page for a certain amount of time so that they can show that to, you know, advertisers. Or, you know, they're targeting me to go somewhere else, right? And they all look the same. Yeah, they all seem legit. I mean, think back to like elections, American elections, like in the 1800s, right? So 
okay. I mean, I gotta, I gotta go around and give stump speeches. Um, I'm gonna have little one pagers that people are gonna post up on, on, you know, it wouldn't have been telephone poles for a lot of the 1800s, but it would have been, you know, somewhere, some kind of community board or whatever, people are posting things. I can say whatever I want on those, <clears throat> on those flyers about my opponent. You know, we talk about politics being dirty now and, and, and social media being the downfall and all this stuff. It's just the next iteration of the same right. thing. Humans are involved. It's going to be messed up. Right. <laughs> and so, but it was harder then. Right. I had to create these flyers and get people to distribute them and, and give my talking points and then get you to go out and spread that message. I couldn't do it on, in a mass way. Now I can send a tweet. And if I got enough followers, millions of people know exactly what I'm saying in that moment. And very few are going to go try and find out whether or not what I'm saying is accurate or not. And some people we inherently trust. It could be, unfortunately, human nature by the way they look and sound and present themselves. It could be some you know acronym next to their name that brings authority with it, whether it's deserved or real or tangible or not. It could be all of these things, but we have a preconceived notion going into every single conversation and everything that we digest. If it says, you know, you know, El Paso Times, Gannett News, Gynes, you know, News or whatever, I think, okay, if there's a different logo that I'm unfamiliar, I'm like, huh? And now we're just seeing that, like, they can put it out however they want, wherever they want. We're not diving in to figure out whether it's accurate or not. If it goes with what we think, we're in. And so the people that I really appreciate are the ones that seek out that kind of information because you're getting it served up. You don't have to seek anything like you just said, but if you really want an answer, you should probably seek out a couple different sources. The source that you say sucks and, and you hate and it's awful. You should probably go look at that every once right. in a while to see what's what. Um, and, and the people that I have the most affinity for are the people that kind of, you know, they're bouncing around and getting it from everywhere because it's all wrong. I mean, honestly, you know, that I, even even things like Reuters and AP, every once in a while, AP is the one that I've always thought, hey, here's a fact, read it, done. I even start to see them kind of like playing, it's amazing what one word or, or, or it's semantics are very powerful things. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, we all do it subconsciously, but they're run by humans. So as long as they're run by humans, I know that I need to be aware. <laughs> It's amazing. And, and they're all, they're all doing it. And what I fear though, is that the real journalists are in a desperate situation, you know, chasing this social platform, chasing these quasi journalists, right? Because they're putting their stuff out there and they're kind of diluting their brand. They're deminimizing their profession by going there, if you will, right? And really writing opinion versus fact. I mean, where is Walter Cronkite? And that's the way it was on April 26, 2022. I think there's a few of them still out there. I mean, can't find them. I have yeah. a lot of friends in media, you know, like I have a friend that's the anchor of the early today show on NBC every day. I have a friend that's a, one of the main anchors in Dallas and a major network there you know, most of my friends have gotten out of it at this point. And they've done it saying, hey, I want to spend more time with my family. I want to do something different. Maybe it's pay, maybe it's hours, whatever. But I think a lot of it too has to do with like, man, this is like not fun because everyone's going to be mad at me at one point or another. I 
am a human, so I have an opinion, but I have to be careful how I present it. So I either go all in and align myself with a group, which means I'm no longer a journalist, or I try to stay a journalist and I'm getting calls from people threatening me and, and stuff like that all the time. And it's just not fun. And, and, and frankly, like the pay until you get to a high level, isn't that great either. Right. Um, but, but yeah, that, you know, I mean, I, I think of Tim Russert, you know, as one of the ones that in my lifetime was, you know, towards the end of his career, we knew what was what a little bit after he passed, we knew what was what, but he was kind of the Cronkite, you know, meet the press yeah. when I was a kid. That's how I learned about politics. And, you know, my dad and I would watch it and, um, you know, if it had been super slanted one way or the other, I know we wouldn't have been watching it. And so um, that's a dying art in that way. Um, but everyone's a journalist now. I can be someplace and see something and take a picture and post it. And I've just become a journalist. Like I'm boots on the ground. So there's 330 million journalists in the United States now. Um, thanks to things like Twitter, which is why they're so important, which is why we got to figure out how to kind of, you know, I mean, you don't want people being horrible online and I, I don't want to live in a world where people can do and say ex everything they want because it just like so where's yeah. that line I don't know that's the problem I can't tell you I don't know I mean can you tell me probably not no way and I don't know that I would want that responsibility and some people are already predicting that this will be his downfall because it's such a massive responsibility right I don't see that happening I see him putting the right people in place and you know, taking a step away from it, but it is a very important role, especially right now where he's shining the light on this entire industry, right? This entire community of, of thought, right? What's day one, what's day one look like in that boardroom? All right. So here's what we're going to do now. Babylon B comes back. Babylon B is day one coming back. What's day um, What's that movie where he's like, I like you, I like you, you're cool, F you, I like you, bye. Like, I, there's a movie, and I can't remember the movie. That's what I picture. Yeah. I mean, he literally yeah. at one point talked about f firing all 12 floors. You know, like, I don't think that's what's going to happen. You know, that wouldn't be a good thing. But I really think he'll go in. And, and, and that's the thing is, like, he's been aligned with a certain side just because of the way he's been talking. But go back and look at things that he said, look at things that he's done. You can't, this is not black and white, dude. This is where we should all be, which is somewhere right, right. in that gray area. Like um, fanaticism, my friends that are fanatical about working out, it's not good. Is working out good, staying healthy, eating right, you know, exercise? Absolutely. Can you overdo it? Yeah. You can, water's good for you. You drink too much water, you die, right? Like, the, like fanaticism in any way, I think is probably not, the best thing and so um people it's it's like unless you're super far into one school of thought or the other when it comes to everything in life right like in the marketing world there's different schools of thought and what works and what doesn't and where we should be focusing our energy um in the political world obviously in the religious world obviously and all the major life things and business schools of business thought all of these things there's like you know there's these sides and then there's somewhere over here and I feel like the people that get the most done like find a way to hover here or at least we think they're hovering here Walter Cronkite yeah he may be over here or over here but it sure seems like he's here and you make a lot more friends and and I think have a lot more upstream a lot less upstream swimming when you figure out a way to kind of 
find whatever that space is. But well, it's like I've, I've heard people say, you know, an example of, you know, sitting in a debate, right, or having a conversation about something. If you sit in the middle, you risk being hit by oncoming traffic coming both ways, as opposed to uh, as opposed to taking a side. But I always think there's a middle. Um, I think it's an important thing. I think it's important to have passions and such, but I do think that he's being painted. He being Elon is being painted in a far right corner, which is not accurate. No, it's not. I mean, I mean libertarian to the definition I'm thinking. A hundred percent. I mean, that's literally the definition of it, but the funny, the craziest thing is, all right. So this dude has been on our screen for the last at least 18 months, a little more He's been on mine longer because I'm just fascinated. I remember he was on 60 minutes, probably 10 or 12 years ago. I think I was, I was think I was in college maybe when I saw this and I was just fascinated by him when, when, uh, what was the, uh, solar city was going to be a thing and all this stuff. And like his brother was having all, all this stuff. He was just fascinating though. And then it's obviously propelled to this. Don't forget there's a trial with Amber Heard and Johnny Depp going on right now, and Elon Musk is a, is going to take the stand apparently because he yeah. was was close with with Amber Heard. So you see this dude, and it's like he's literally everywhere right now. And and I heard somebody put it really well, and I, I'm paraphrasing, and I don't even remember who it was. It was sometime in the last few months, but it was like the fact that we have somebody who has the the acumen to do these things, the wherewithal financially to create them, and he's living during our time right now. I'm not, you know, I'm not praising Elon Musk. I don't think he's some God figure. I think he's a normal dude that happens to be incredibly intelligent, goes out and just does things and has developed, you know, because of PayPal and a little bit of money has turned it into a, a big thing. I, he's not a God, you know, there's one God and I know him personally and, and he's awesome, right? Like he's not one of them. However, the fact that, you know, imagine what it was like to live around Benjamin Franklin. Imagine what it was like to live around Nikola Tesla, who we would have none of this if it weren't for. Imagine what it was like to live around Sir Isaac Newton. Imagine what it was like to be around these people, these figures. You know, we don't appreciate it because we're here right now, I think. But if the world still exists 800 years from now, there's going to be people talking about a shift that happened during our lifetime, and his name will be in those history books in some shape or form. And I hope it continues to go in a good direction. And I think his heart tends to seemingly be kind of in the right place, but I don't know him personally, so I can't testify to that. Right. Anybody that says, why would you go into business unless you wanted to be the best at whatever your business is, has my vote, because that's what we should be doing. That's the difference between exceptional and mediocre and mediocrity doesn't get us anywhere, you know, so. It's funny how people have have cast opinions about him. And I like how you couch it as, you know, I, I don't know him personally. I only see what is being put in front of me, but he seems authentic. But people simply say, and the, the, the best part about it is, you know, he sold all of his, his uh, tangible, assets you know he doesn't have luxury items all he keeps doing is pushing the money into a bigger pile and it's compounding because he's making great moves but simply because he's been titled the richest man in the world people don't trust him 
for sim that reason alone, because people can't get their head around the fact that somebody wealthy could be good. Isn't that weird? Yeah, I mean, we see it on every level. There's a couple of people in, in my, you know, I, I always say little, but I mean, there's a million people here, but in my little West Texas town, that a lot of downtown revitalization is due to them. A lot of business and jobs is due to them. A lot of philanthropic things that are successful here and the arts and culture are due to them and foundations that they run. And there's a huge chunk of people that like hate them and think they don't do enough. They don't pay enough taxes. They don't do enough things. They don't give back enough. They're not active enough. And then I go to like see the symphony and I'm like, this hall wouldn't have been redone if it weren't for them. And the hotel across the street that we ate, you know, where we ate dinner before this. And then the bar or the restaurant up the street from that, that we were going to go get a post concert cocktail. I wouldn't exist if it weren't for them. And I appreciate that. And then there's other people that take the stance of like, but they're not doing enough. And so, you know, you never know what you're going to do until you're in shoes in, in, in those, in those shoes. Uh, but think of all, you know, you mentioned the, the boring, right? So in Florida there, think of the economic development that's going to happen along that route. Think of the people that are going to become wealthy because of that. Think of the impact it will have on just quality of life stuff. And then will he end up making money on it somehow? Yeah, probably. We're not in business to lose money. None of us are. If we are, we're, we shouldn't be. Um, but think of all the people that are, you know, that's how I like to look at people like that. How many, you know, how many wealthy people are created by, by those wealthy people? How many people's lives are made better because of the things that they did? If we focused on that stuff, Nikola Tesla died alone in a hotel in New York, feeding pigeons every afternoon. He left most of his, he left most of his wealth, whatever there was left to be able to pay someone to go feed the pigeons until the money ran out. And, and none of this, you know, someone probably would have come up with it at some point, but he did it. Like he was, he managed to be able to harness electricity in a way that we could actually use it for stuff. Right. And, and, and he died alone and, and pretty poor and his friends were pigeons, you know? Um, but what, what kind of an impact did he, would people have been mad at him and hated him if he had died rich with people all around him in a penthouse apartment in New York, probably they wouldn't have liked him. But because he died alone by himself and kind of poor at that point, we're like, oh man, Nikola Tesla, wow. Right? Like we have this thing where you make it to the top, like he's done. And my dad calls it the, 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 the wedge of mediocrity, right? So like the wedge of mediocrity, if you're at the front of that wedge there, all these other people behind you are pushing down on you. So if you're getting crap from people, if they're, you know, for lack of a better term, hating on you at every turn and bashing you and belittling you and being condescending towards you and talking negatively about you to other people, in my opinion, you're doing something right. You know, like um, indifference is what scares me, not friction. You know, indifference is where bad things happen. Friction is where things are created. You know, um, so the wedge of mediocrity has always been interesting to me. My dad had a poster of it in his office at UTEP, um, his studio. Uh, and yeah, I always thought about it. And every once in a while now, like I'll bring up some, I'll be, you know, I talk to my dad every day. He was here earlier today having a cup of coffee with me. And, you know, he's 80 years old and he's my, you know, he's my sounding board. He's my best friend. If I feel like I'm messing something up, I ask him about it and I take his advice almost, you know, almost completely. Absolutely. And uh, 
every time somebody's kind of getting on me about something or, you know, something's not going great, you know, I'll run it by him. And he brings that up sometimes. And if it's me, he's like, son, I mean, it sounds like, you know, you need to retool your attitude when it comes to this. But sometimes it just says, you know, you're working hard, you're doing the right things. And there's the wedge of mediocrity. Don't forget about it. So help me understand the visual of the wedge. So you're in front of that wedge. They're pushing down on you. Do you then pop? Do you then pop through to exceptional? How does the how does the wedge work? The graphic looked like a like an upside down cone, you know. And yeah. I mean, and and I haven't seen it in twenty years probably, but from what I recall, yeah, there's just there's all this downward pressure on you because you're at the head of the line leading something. So he's at the head of the line leading something, the wealthiest man in the world, and so everybody is behind him at this point, literally, and so. Um, those that are working in, in, in mediocrity are doing nothing but kind of like, I mean, I almost picture it like they're just kind of sauntering around and laying there, but the weight alone of the people doing that, somebody has to keep things moving forward. Got it. You know? And so to me, yeah, I guess the visual would be that eventually you break through, but what is that? Like, I don't, what is that? It's different for you than it is for me. A breakthrough for me, you know, could be something very small or very big it's just going to be different for every person um, but some people they break through and then they're like all right now where and he's yeah. one of those, you know like i did this okay cool any one of those companies would be someone that we would talk about that everyone would know who it is you know it's funny you say that you know it's like boom you break through now what but it's also like okay who's with me right and from what i understand from listening to him and reading about him it's like oh you want to you want to do that you like you like the idea of the boring cut you want to run it okay you run it let me know how it's going yeah i mean how great is that i i watched an interview of his i I, i'm fascinated by those like you know instagram and tiktok i'm not active on tiktok but i creep every once in a while and like see what's going on you know they know me so well because they serve up all these little two to five minute long blurb or uh, snippets from interviews that he's done. And he did one recently and they were asking like, you know, how do you hire people? And he's, and, and this was probably four or five years ago, but he said at SpaceX and at that time they had 500 people. I had a friend and actually an ex-girlfriend from high school that was like some kind of executive assistant to him at some point, like seven or eight years ago, but 500 people. And he personally interviewed every single one of them wow. from, from you know maintenance staff to engineers to everybody in between right like every single one of them and he the the person interviewing him said you know what's your process when you interview and he's like obviously you know knowledge and 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 you know problem solving is really important anyone who solved a complex problem can tell you exactly how they did it because they remember that breakthrough was they got them there but honestly i'm like like i only have one chance not to poison the well I look at the person and I think, will they be easy to work with or hard to work with? Will people like to work alongside them or will they not? If I poison the well, the well is poisoned. You know, like I have one chance not to do that. Nobody wants to go to a job where they don't like the people they work with. So they all have to be really likable. And that was, and, 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 and he literally said, that's the most important thing. You know, um, obviously he puts a heavy weight on, on critical thinking skills, doesn't believe in classical education. Um, that's, you know, novel idea. America's the only one that thinks that we need to shove a degree down everybody's throat. And then we're sitting here debating whether or not we should, um, you know, wipe out all the student loans 
many of which were taken out by people that didn't necessarily even feel like they wanted it, but society says we have to do that. Some of the most successful and frankly happiest people I know um, are tradespeople, and they're absolutely killing it. And they now have their own companies and a bunch of trucks and a bunch of offices and a bunch of people that are becoming wealthy because of them. And they told me when I was going to go to school and decided I wanted to major in history just because I liked it. They're like, you're going to go just to get the piece of paper. And I was like, yeah, I think so. <laughs> like, that's what it is. So I did it. I mean, I can't knock it. That's exactly what I did. Um, it's funny. It's, you know, people say that about the trades. Are we going to pay off some of their truck loans and their, some of their, their business loans? I mean, what's yeah. fair? That, that, I, 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 well, don't even get me started on that whole conversation. So tell me, what are you doing with WFG these days? Man, there's so many great things happening. Uh, there really are. And um, I, people say stuff like that, but you can kind of tell in my face, I think that I mean it, you know, and um, we had some team changes recently with the marketing technology director program, but oh my gosh, are we like, I'm super excited for the people that have come on board. I'm super excited for a few more people. And I think, you know, we've been able to say that we're the fastest growing underwriter in the nation for a while now but you start saying something like that too much and then you forget that you actually have to do stuff to make that happen, right? And so some of the people that I get to work alongside, you know, the Justin Tuckers, the Justin Stutz of the world that are like incredibly creative, you know, the Pat Stones that do things differently and are okay to like, you know, plow a new, a, a new path. Um, I think as long as we have people like that, um, you know, in leadership positions, we're poised really, really well to continue to grow. Um, and you know, I, I always joke about in some of my classes, we are our own best marketing market research, right? Like, what do you like? What do you not like about being marketed to about the last time you closed on a home about the last time you hired a realtor about the last time you hired an electrician to look at something in your house, whatever it might be like, what do you like? And what do you not like? Um, and stop doing the stuff that you don't like. Like we don't like it. And then we go do it because it's low hanging fruit and it's easier. And that gets us nowhere. You know, um, I don't know if I talked to you. Did I tell you the, I said this, I think at Spark where you were there, but did I talk about the, have I ever talked about like the Trader Joe's background to you? Share it. So Trader Joe's. So there was a, a business professor from Stanford. Uh, I can't recall his name at this point, but he came into El Paso as a part of a YPO, like Young, Profe young President's Organization Day. And I was lucky enough to attend and it was a day long, you know, kind of workshop seminar, but he was the main speaker and he comes in and he talks about, um, you know, he asked people like, are you familiar with Trader Joe's? Everyone's like, yeah. And, you know, what do you think of when you think of Trader Joe's? What do you think of when you think of Trader Joe's, by the way, Mark, seriously, what do you think? Of? Organic, healthy alternatives. Cool. So it started as a place, their top two selling items were cigarettes and ammunition. <laughs> And so what they did a long time ago was, and this was, they were in the Inland Empire, like Bakersfield area of California, I believe. I could be wrong, but I, I think that's what I recall. I'm probably wrong, but whatever. And the idea was, is that they would take their top performing products, double down on the next iteration of those. They would take their bottom, bottom performing products, throw them in clearance and eliminate the products from the store. And so they would do that, you know, it started out, I think every month, and then I'm sure it's different. And now they've probably stopped at this point, which could be a problem, Trader Joe's, if you're listening, you need to go back to that, because who knows. But 
that turned it, you know, that turned the company, it let the people speak, right? Like what is performing well? What do people want? What do people not want? If we did that same, you know, if we had the Trader Joe's mentality in our business, we'd be bobbing and weaving constantly. We'd be stretching and growing because we'd have to change and change begets stretching and growing. Um, And we'd always be getting better. And our clients would almost always be recognizing our growth and getting better and better service. And so, you know, Elon, again, he says, why, why go into business unless you want that business to be the very best at whatever it is that it does? No one starts a company and is like, I'm going to start a glass cleaning business and I want to be the, the crappiest glass cleaners. In- <laughs> I want to be the most, I want to be the most average mediocre glass cleaner on the planet. Nobody does that, you know, <laughs> and, but we act like that. We behave like that. Um, you say it like that and it's laughable, but then you look at so many businesses, including some that we've probably started. Right. And, and, and that's what we do. And so the Trader Joe's mentality, you know, take the, Take the best things and double down. Take the things that you know are not working anymore and stop doing it. Stop doing it. Yeah. And, and it's hard because usually those things are the easy things that we get to check a box and feel like we were productive. Right. right? Like, and you can say that about marketing, right? So segue to marketing. What are people doing that they don't like to do, but they still do it anyhow, right? The agents are posting the stats because it's yeah. easy to grab it and post it, right? But Maybe those stats are freaking out your, your listing, your potential listings, because where am I going to go? If there's nobody selling their houses, where am I going to go? Yeah, and how do you differentiate those stats when you're pulling the same graphic from the regional MLS that your competitors are pulling and posting the exact same thing? Right. How, how many open house flyers could you possibly post on social media? <laughs> coming Count- soon. Yeah, coming soon. Um, I joked recently, um, there's a gentleman named Eric Sachs with a company called Breakthrough Broker. Amazing guy. You should have him on the show. Okay. Um, Breakthrough Broker, they have 600,000 realtor members at this point uh, across the country and and other parts of the world, I guess. Like, I don't know where else, but um, he was a, he's a retired cop and detective, lives in Denver, and he's created a marketing platform that, you know, for realtors to be able to create content. He gave a presentation recently where we spoke at an event in Columbia, South Carolina. Great place, by the way. I'd never been. It's really beautiful. Mm. Um, but he was talking about like water cooler talk, you know, barbecue season is upon us. If you're in real estate at all, whether you're a lender, whether you're in title or whether you're a realtor, when people come up to you next to the barbecue pit this summer, what do they ask you every single time? How's the market? Bingo. What do we say? Oh man, it's crazy. Okay. See you later. I don't want any part of crazy. Like crazy? What does that mean? You know, oh, you know, it's pretty interesting right now. What I mean by that is, is I work with clients. Sometimes it takes several houses and several offers to lock down something, but I've been pretty successful at cutting through the crowd and being able to help my, my clients find the house that they really want. So it's, it's been pretty crazy. That sounds totally different, right? That starts a whole different conversation. I just created a story in your mind in five seconds about what it kind of looks like. But what do we do? Ah, oh, it's crazy. That begets no conversation. It turns into no leads. You know, there's so many people moving, buying, selling right now. Every barbecue you go to, if you were strategic as a real estate agent or a lender or someone, you know, working in our industry in the title side, you'll find somebody that's going to do a transaction in the next few months, every time. Oh, but yeah. not say, it's crazy. 
Well, crazy, you know, it, it visualizes papers flying around, you're unorganized, you can't get the deal done, right? Why would somebody, you know, but, you, but they're not thinking, right? So that goes to it. It's like, this is what everyone's saying when I walk into the office, this is what I'm projecting out to the community now. I don't want to do that. If I knew there was a better way, I wouldn't do that. What can people be doing right now? Like, what are some of the strategies that are really effective with anyone in the industry? You pick. So I think uh, technology is really cool. And I love it. I'm a total nerd about it. But because, because of where we've been the last several years, I feel like we've started to really, if you talk to a, a realtor about generating leads, even just that term lead generation, it's a very transactional term, right? Like I'm going to, I'm going to pay somewhere, whether it's Zillow or a realtor pro, or, you know, if I'm paying people like truly and stuff to, to buy zip codes or whatever, or I'm paying some company to retarget some people to hopefully get some contact information to hopefully turn them into leads. I'm, you know, whatever I'm doing, I'm running Google AdWords and trying to generate leads that way or whatever. I think the interesting thing is like, you know, there is a, multiplying effect that you can create by being genuine in conversation and online, right? Like if you are consistent with engaging with people like you do, right? Like what we're sitting and doing right now. I mean, you do this stuff all the time and it's, you, you do it as a service to the people you're talking to, but at the end of the day, what does it do for you? You know, a lot more people now than you did a year ago. All of those people know exactly who you are. They come to like you because of the engagement that we have right here. That relationship grows. And who am I going to do business with when I'm in New Hampshire? It's going to be you, right? Like, who am I going to do business when I'm in when I'm in your part of Massachusetts? Like, it's going to be you because you're doing these things to lift up other people. There's no metric to track that. Like, we look for metrics now. Like, you know, Facebook says I had 1,463 views on this post and it turned into four leads. Here's their names, their phone number, and their email. That's really cool. But if I, you know, I love LinkedIn, for example. I joke about, like, this is, this is what I would do right now. So if I was going back into real estate right now, this is what I would do. I talked about this earlier today. I can go to LinkedIn. I can search any company. And it says right there, 43 people work at this company. Okay. So reloc being a relocation real estate agent, is something that a lot of people do during times like this, right? I'm willing to pay 30%, 40% to a reload company or to my brokerage to get some of these deals funneled down towards me. Maybe I have to do a little training or whatever, but I have to pay the referral fee. Not every company out there uses a reload company, right? So what are the medium-sized companies in my town in El Paso, Texas, that probably don't have a relocation company? What if I could become for 0% the de facto relocation manager of that company? How would I do that? Okay, I go to LinkedIn, I search the company. Oh, wow, there's 43 people that work there. I select that, a drop-down menu comes down of every single one of those people. I go and I connect with them in a genuine way, start to engage with their content on LinkedIn, like and post or like and comment and maybe share some of the things that they're sharing about their business, about their professional life. Maybe I give them a recommendation or an endorsement on their LinkedIn, which I don't have to tell them I did. LinkedIn tells them for me, hey, Sam just said, you know, hey, Mark, Sam just said that you were highly skilled in negotiations or whatever, right? You get that notification, ah, release of serotonin, that feels kind of cool. I like Sam, Sam's a good dude. Now I find who those managers are. 
I send them a little video through LinkedIn messaging or their other contact information, which is on their LinkedIn profile as well, and is actually downloadable. Um, Google that, download LinkedIn contact info, and you can download all your contacts info, turn it into a CSV. But anyway, cool. so I send a quick video to this person. You know, hey, Mark, my name's Sam. I'm a realtor with XYZ Realty. I've been connecting with everybody in your company. I would love to pop by and just provide some lunch for everybody. There's a ton of real estate transactions going on in the area. It's kind of a really interesting market right now. A lot of people are buying and selling. I'll talk about that for like five minutes. And then I'd love to just provide lunch and get to know everybody because I'm connected with a lot of people there. Would you mind if I did that sometime in the next couple of weeks? You're going to bring lunch to me for free. You said you're only going to talk for five minutes and you're doing it in a positive, grateful way. Yeah, you can bring lunch. I bring lunch. I talk about the market for five minutes, leave a couple of cards. If they ask for them, I don't shove them down their throat. And then I do it again a couple of months from then. How quickly have I become the go-to real estate agent for everyone in that company by simply searching a company on LinkedIn, connecting with people, engaging with them, and buying some sub sandwiches, right? Like that's how you generate actual leads. And the sub sandwiches are going to be a lot cheaper than buying a zip code on Zillow and paying $1,200 a month for, you know, hundreds of leads that you have to sift through and basically pay somebody to call cold call and try to convert and decide whether or not they're actual leads or not, which by the way, a lot of them are not. Right. Right. So what do you do if you're an agent and uh, there's a scarcity in the inventory? Like, how do you, how do you work through that? You know, I think, I think the unsolicited CMA is back. Um, unsolicited CMA, meaning, you know, a lot of people realize the market's gone crazy. There's probably some realtors hitting them up saying, Hey, I'll give you a CMA. Let me know if you'd like to know what your house is worth. There's probably some people even using a, um, you know, automated systems that give them a market, a, ball, a ballpark market value. I got one recently, you know, the home values here are very different than they are up there, but this thing had probably like a 35 or 40% swing in what the value might be. And I'm like, this doesn't give me any information. Right. right. So, I mean, if there's a target audience, preferably someone that's already in my sphere of influence, they know me already. You know, if any realtor listening to this will know, like one of the most painful things as a realtor, same goes for a lender and same goes for title, really. But is when you see somebody that you've worked with before and I'm a realtor and I'm driving down the street and I see a sign in their yard and it's not my sign, right? Like, oh, dagger to the heart. And then I think back, it's like, I never reached out. Yeah. I never followed up. I never offered value. I never popped by with something for them. I never engaged with them. So statistically, like, no, they forgot who I was within a couple months. They may remember my face and a name, but they went another direction and it's my fault. It's not their fault. So by picking those kind of people in your sphere of influence, statistically, it's two to five years is what I've always gone with. Most Americans have a real estate transaction of some type every two to five years. So if I stay in contact with my entire sphere of influence, I don't have to go out and pay for random cold leads. I have a great base right here that I'm not working, right? And so, and I hate to use the word working, but like that I'm not engaging with. And so for me, what that means is I'm picking 10 of those a week and I'm doing an actual CMA. I'm sending it to them either via, via snail mail or I'm dropping it off, or I'm shooting a little video and explaining what this market analysis actually means. And literally just saying, I've been looking in the neighborhood, values are all over the map. You know, you've been hearing about it on the news. I just figured you might want to know for whatever reason, maybe you want to do a refi, maybe you want to do a cash out, maybe you're thinking of selling, maybe you want to do a little HELOC and start getting into investing, whatever it is that you want to do. I just thought you might want to know what I think your home would go for 
muscle minnows on the ball on the, on the market right now, delivering those to people. It's amazing how many people were like, I knew values had gone up and I was feeling good about it, but I didn't know they'd gone up like that. Yes, we have been thinking about downsizing. Yes, we have been thinking about investing. Maybe I'm not going to sell, but I'm going to take, uh, you know, I'm going to take out a either, a, you know, I'm going to do some kind of a cash out because values are so great. And I do want to buy an investment property. Can you represent me? Right? Like, so you have, we have this pool of people that already know who we are. They already maybe kind of like us. They already kind of trust us. We have an actual connection, but what are we doing? Paying 500 bucks to Zillow to get leads for people that may or may not even exist and trying to call them and get a hold of them on numbers that may or may not be real. When we have these people that already know who we are in a CRM or, or, or written down somewhere or in a Rolodex, wherever, but we have those people already and we're not, we're not, you know, farming our own sphere of influence. And I think that's a real problem. And now's the time to double down on that stuff rather than trying to fight for the five leads that are going to come in on Zillow tomorrow. Right. What about the, the lenders and the uh, title folks who are more B2B than direct to consumer? What are you suggesting? How do you get their attention when, especially the lenders who were in this refi boom for two years, now they pick up their head and they have to reach back out to all their referral partners for the purchase business. Yeah. I mean, I think everything kind of, for me, goes back to trying to figure out ways to add value. Like mm -hmm. we're so bad at just saying, Hey, I know I'm going to treat you great. I got a great team with me here. We're going to wow your clients. It's going to be awesome. Would you please give us a deal instead of saying, Hey, why don't we sit down and brainstorm on how we can help, you know, leverage some of the technologies and marketing things and some of my sphere to help you grow your business. I think it's probably going to help me grow mine and we're both going to get more deals. That's a very different conversation. When I've helped somebody generate deals, it's a lot easier to ask for the deals, right? right? Like the answer is always going to be yes, if I helped you create that business. And so finding ways, you know, in our industry, a lot of the similar things work. I was talking to somebody earlier today about CRMs and they were like, oh, I use one. It's for realtors. And it was uh, somebody in the, the title space. And um, of course, that's going to work for them too. Like, so whether you're a lender, an attorney, just a, a standalone title company, a realtor, like we can use a lot of the same strategies to find, find people that are on the fence about buying or selling, preferably selling right now, obviously. Um, and we can turn them into actual clients in similar ways. So if we, sh you know, you're of the abundance mentality, right? Like you'll, you'll talk about pretty, if I asked you some question right now, like you're going to answer that question, no matter who you think may be listening to this or watching it later. Right. Yeah abundance mentality there's more than enough to go around two things happen when you have that mentality i think one you discover there actually is enough to go around and two you discover you actually do better because that's just the energy you put into the space i i feel like i mean I, i'm not one of those like energy you put into the space but really and so if i have a lender or or, or someone in the title space and i'm a realtor like not only if i can help pick them up they're going to be able to help pick me up too right so i can say hey Mr. or Mrs. Linder, I've been doing this in different neighborhoods right now. It's been working out. It's turned into some listings that people hadn't really even thought about selling. Or every once in a while, it turns into someone wanting to do a cash out so they can start investing. So maybe you should do something relatively similar. I'm happy to share some of the people that I've talked with successfully to see if you want to chat with them a little bit more. And if there's anyone that you know in the area that's looking to you know, need my services, I'd love to piggyback on you as well. It's a very different conversation. Um, you know, not everybody has leads to go around all the time, but when they do, who are they going to give them to? Somebody who tried to support them or somebody who just said, I'd love a deal. Can I have one? Yeah. Here are the rates. 
here's some yeah. donuts. Yeah, yeah. We'll do, we'll do a good job. We'll do it cheap too. Yeah, yes. I, I had a statistic, um, and this was relating to like recruitment and retention, but I think it goes for almost everything. Like we pay for experiences now. People think that the number one reason somebody's going to take a job is pay and benefits. Um, millennials, statistically, the most important thing to them is experience and culture, right? And so we're doing the same thing with our purchasing habits. We think that we need to cut each other's throat. You know, some markets are promulgated, and frankly, I think that's a good thing, right? Um, but I could be convinced as to why it's not in some ways too, I think. I'm just used to it probably in being in Texas. But we think we have this mentality that it's like it's all about price and turn times. And that's that's what it's about. When really people are like, man, I just wanted to have a good experience and wanted to feel like more than an address or a file number. That would be cool. Yeah. Right. We spend a little bit more. Look at, you know, look at some of these subscription services, right? Like, look at, you know, um, what's the the dude's one that sends like a, a shirt and a pocket knife and all that stuff like birch box or um, you know, Spreza box was one that would send like a, a bow tie and a cool pocket knife and a handkerchief and a bottle of cologne or whatever. It was like, you know, 45 bucks a month. They're bark boxes for dogs, right? Like Hamilton loves his bark box. Thanks aunt Allie. We really appreciate it. <laughs> uh, yeah. She hooked me up. I didn't know who it was for like six months. I asked all my friends, did you get this? And my sister finally was like, did you ever start getting those bark boxes? And I was like, it was you that did it. I love it. But we pay for packaging and experience, right? Like I can go find my own pocket square and, you know, my own horsehair bracelet, you know, in Santa Fe and I can buy, but this comes in a box with like a little note from my stylist every month for only $45 and it's curated by them. So I'll pay $45 for that. What was in the box probably cost six bucks, right? So that's the perfect example of we're paying for experiences. We're not it's not that we're super price conscious anymore. We're paying for a feeling. And so stop focusing on the price, start focusing on the feeling and you'll see what happens. And that's what some of the people that created the company that I work for and our sister companies, like that's what they did. Like, how can we create an experience? We can communicate, we can collaborate and we can coexist together as people in the industry rather than trying to cut each other's throat. And that's how you become the fastest growing company of that type in the nation, communicating, collaborating, and coexisting, the three C's. That's really interesting because you would think from a corporate level, you know, that's going to take too long. This is going to be a slow roasting process. But then on the flip side, you're the fastest growing company in your space yeah. because of those core beliefs. It, it, it resonates. People need it. There's a, there's a need. There's a hunger for it. And uh, the old ways are, are going to the, to the trash. When you were in college, not that you ever had any cocktails or adult beverages. <laughs> yeah. But when you walked up to a gathering place, be it a watering hole or whatever it might have been. Yeah. They didn't let you in. What was your feeling? I'm missing out on something. I'm missing out on something, but I'm also frustrated. Why do they have to have the biggest bouncer at the place that won't let you in? Because people get upset. I want to be in there. I've got FOMO now. I feel like I have this fear that I'm missing out of, of something. And now I'm getting upset. What am I not good enough? Why can't I go in? You let them in. What happened when it was the one that was like, hey, Mark, welcome back, brother. Come on in. It's a totally different feeling. And so in this industry, we have this mindset where it's like, oh, you don't work with us. You can't come to our event. Mm. What? 
you don't work with us, that's more reason for you to come to, to our event. Get to know us. If you like us a little more, you'll probably work with us. If you don't, at least we got to get to know each other a little bit. Like which mentality ends up working better? Right. There's something said about exclusivity. So there is something to be said about like, oh, you got to wait a couple minutes, right? Like you got to wait a couple minutes to come in and experience what's going on in here. But that's very different than like, no, next, you know? And so in this space, you go to a convention, certain people have their, their group events and they're like, where's your wristband? Do you work with us currently? You know, uh, when's the last time you cut us, you know, whatever it might be. Because we're and not going to pay for that drink and that hors d'oeuvre if you're not paying us. And there's other people that are like, hey, my name's Sam. Thanks for joining us. Come on in, man. And that's the people that you want to do business with. And, and so when you take that mentality, it may be scary when you look at like a, you know, bottom line profit margin for an event or something like that or for business. But man, it pays off, <laughs> you know, like be accepting, be inclusive. That's a word that we use a lot today. And then we don't behave like that. Right. Like we want to be inclusive, but do we work with you? Nope. Yeah. Like it, inclusive means inclusive. It doesn't mean inclusive all the time or sometimes or, right. or when it's convenient or when it's best for my business. It means that I'm inclusive. I want to be around people. I love people. That's what I do. Right. Like there's no. Yeah. We, we put precursors on all that stuff. So, so what do you want to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> so, folks, you've probably been back and listened to episode 40 already to hear the background of Sam and his story. And Sam, it's been a couple of years. If someone were to sit down and write a review about working with you and MTD, what would that sound like? Uh, I think last time I said that I cared, I think that's 100% still it for me. I mean, my word for the year in 2021 was gratitude. I wasn't done with that word yet. That's my word of the year for 2022. I'm grateful for each and every opportunity I have to spend time with other humans. And so um, that gratitude uh, means that I, that I care. And, you know, I'd like to finish things by saying when I present and other things, the world's been upside down right now, you know, um, but we're all in this together and let's be kind to one another. It's great. I love it. I love it. And of course, you know, our affinity to karaoke, I believe Snoop D-O-double-G was your uh, go-to karaoke song. Is that still the case? Oh, gin and juice will never leave my soul, my friend. <laughs> I can't wait. I cannot <laughs> wait to when you get into town and we go and do some karaoke and hear, hear the Snoop D-O-double-G. That's right. Sam, once again, man, thank you so much for joining the show. And uh, I can't wait for episode three with you. I can't wait. Thanks for having me. You're doing awesome stuff here. Keep it up, brother. Thank you, my man. Be well. Hey, thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice for a new episode each week and share this with everyone and anyone. If you have any questions or comments or have an idea for another guest, feel free to shoot me an email at mstyles at styles-law.com. That's M-S-T-I-L-E-S at styles-law.com. And if you are a real estate professional, be sure to check us out on our private exclusive Facebook page, The Real Estate School at 892 for content and Massachusetts continuing education opportunities. Be well, folks. Today's episode is sponsored by Securitidal. Securitidal helps Massachusetts real estate attorneys, real estate agents, loan professionals, buyers, and sellers with all of their title, settlement, and escrow needs. Securitidal, S-E-C-U-R-I-T-I-T-L-E.com, where security and title come together. This podcast is being provided for informational purposes only. 
The podcast is not a comprehensive overview of the subject and is not intended to provide legal or financial advice or an endorsement of any product or business. The views expressed by podcast guests are their own and their appearance on the podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Please seek legal, financial, or tax advice before taking any action on the matters or products discussed herein.